Hi, and welcome to The Caption Life, a show for the most casual and dedicated fans of comics and a member of the Comic Watch family. I am your host, Sean. Join me and discover what the world of comics and graphic novels has to offer. From one-on-one interviews with industry professionals to roundtable discussions with passionate fans and reviews on the latest comics, TV shows, and movies. You can find me on social media under the username at Caption Life. You can also find more episodes and information at thecaptionlife.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. I am excited to share with you that we are starting a new sub-series of episodes called Inside the Panels, where we have comic creators join us to talk about their journey experience as a whole. So instead of talking about particular book or series, we'll talk about their entire career so far. And to start off this series, we have a returning guest of the show, David Pepos. A former crime reporter turned storytelling professional, David has tackled comic strip homicide, wedding crashing bank robbers, and post-apocalyptic fairy tales as the ring award-winning writer of Savage Avengers, Avengers Unlimited, Spencer and Locke, Going to the Chapel, Grand Theft Astro, The OZ, Scout's Honor, and more. David's books have been featured in The Hollywood Reporter, ComicBook.com, and io9, and have ranked on Barnes & Noble's Best Comics and Graphic Novels list. His writing has been called Stunningly Submersive by IGN and Absurdly Good Time by Nerdist, while Sci-Fi has described his work as utterly insane or pure genius, or admittedly, maybe both. In addition to developing properties for comics, TV, and film, he has also worked for CBS, Netflix, and Universal Studios. Raised in St. Louis, David currently resides in sunny Los Angeles, where he lives with his understanding partner, their rambunctious terrier, and at least six deadlines. David, welcome back to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thank you for coming on. And I wanted to say that I don't think I realized that you were a former crime reporter before yeah. you got into comics writing. And maybe you mentioned that in the um, first episode that you were on the show, but I completely forgot about that. Tell us what that was like just, you know, as a profession. And was there something about that that decide that made you decide that you want to go into being a comics writer or was it just <laughs> something you've always wanted to do? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, it was it was my first job out of college. Um, I, uh, I wrote for um, a, a newspaper in, in rural Massachusetts uh, called the Berkshire Eagle. And mm-hmm. so I covered things. Uh, I, I, I was often on the night shift. So um, uh, so I would be calling all the police departments every night to, trying to be like, what's going on today? You know, has there been any any assaults, any car accidents, any anything in, in, in that vein? And um, yeah, you know, I mean, I, it was it was a fun job. It certainly made made me uh, less afraid of a deadline or a word count. Um, but, you know, I, 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 I've been a comics fan my whole life. Um, I'm a, I'm a third generation comics fan. My, my mother was a comics reader. My grandfather was a comics reader. And so, um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of living the dream now, um, uh, uh, getting to be a professional comics writer. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, you know, I, I, uh, there's always a, a nice camaraderie in the newsroom, um, that, uh, that, that I do miss. And, um, yeah, you know, I think it just kind of taught me how to write tight and to write fast. Mm-hmm. And um, and just kind of, you know, you got to get something out. So get something out. Right. And, and I imagine that the style of writing in that process is probably different from crime reporting to writing comics. Is that right? Y- y- yes and no. Um, mm-hmm. Structurally is kind of the, actually the thing that they really do have a lot of overlap um, because, you know, you write a you write a, a, a news article and you, 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 you find out that you, you, you have either a certain word count or a certain inch count. And. Um, and so you kind of write what you know you have to write 
mm-hmm. then you think like, okay, like how do I how do I structure that? How do I introduce the flow of information? Is there anything that like if we had more room online that you would add in that you might not that you know might not be like you have to have it in print? Right. And um, I, I I do that that modular style of writing. Um, I do do that with uh, with my comics writing quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. You know where I think okay. This scene is good, but it's not really working where it is here. So I kind of lop off the beginning and I lop off the end and I kind of shift it somewhere else. Um, and so kind of learning how to visualize the structure of, uh, of a story, that is something I, I really picked up as a, as, a, as, a, as a reporter. And so, um, yeah, that I, I, I do take with me uh, uh, everywhere. Um, but yes, beyond that, it, it is a little bit of a different animal. Um, but the, 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 the soft skills of just kind of knowing how to write fast, right on a deadline and being mm-hmm. able to structure it. That's something that I, I really did learn as a reporter and, and I do take with me as a comics writer. Nice. And I, I imagine that some of the stories that you came across during that profession, you probably kind of put in the back burner of like, this might be a good story for a comic later, right? <laughs> no, I mean, it, it's, it's weird because it's, you know, uh, it, it, Berkshire County, Massachusetts, um, you know, it was it was a very interesting socioeconomic um, uh, environment where mm-hmm. you kind of had, you know, rich Northeasterners, summer homes next to like really abject poverty. And so, um, you know, and, and all you had to do was kind of take a turn down a certain street for a couple of blocks and you'd kind of you'd cross that threshold pretty fast. So, uh, you know, I mean, some of those stories maybe not the stories themselves, but occasionally some of the mood, um, you know, uh, uh, that, that might've picked up in things like, uh, like Spencer and Locke, um, mm-hmm. for sure. And, and, um, I will say like, I did a bunch of stories, um, on returning veterans, um, particularly like how they dealt with mental health on their, on, on their way back. And that's mm-hmm. something that certainly has kind of, uh, resonated in my work, um, both with Spencer and Locke and the OZ, um, and even I think, it, it, you know, even if I don't make it explicit, I think that's something that does kind of echo through most of my projects um, in, in terms of sort of mental mental health and how do people cope um, and perhaps not the healthiest of ways. Um, but beyond that, you know, I, I don't think there were any specific stories that I brought from um, my, my newspaper days because it was there was a lot of there was a lot of gang crime, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, coming in from um, coming in from Albany. Um, um, and also just like a lot of rural crime, um, you know, mm-hmm. which like, it, it was weird, you know, and, um, there, there were definitely some weird crime stories over there, but, uh, none that I, I think I've been able to turn into a comic yet, but, uh, never say never. One other thing about your bio, cause we haven't even like sure. dove into the interview yet, but, yeah. um, one other thing about your bios, I guess I didn't realize that you had also uh, wrote for like CBS and Netflix and Universal Studios. Yeah, I, 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 I've worked for them. Um, I, I worked in corporate at CBS for a long time. Um, that was actually uh, my day job when I sold my first book. Um, mm. I, I worked with their publicity and PR teams uh, on all the shows. So, um, you know, and, and that was really useful in terms of kind of learning like the lay of the land and learning kind of how do you make shows accessible? You know, that was really CBS's big strength um, compared to a place like, say, NBC, you know, where they had like they'd have a show uh, like Revolution, for example, which you, you probably don't remember that show right now. Oh, but, you I know, do. The first, the first <laughs> season, you know, yeah. kind of blew everybody away. And um, that was something I kind of learned at CBS was, you know, a first season, you know, 
getting a hit with the first season, that is tough. That's challenging. But how do you kind of build a series for the long haul? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how do you build a CSI? How do you build an NCIS? How do you build a Big Bang Theory? Mm-hmm. Um, shows that weren't necessarily, you know, blockbusters in their first couple of seasons, but the longevity of it all. Right. Um, and you know they they would they would build um, on each other. You know sometimes you'd have a lead in of a very popular show, and then you'd bring in another show to come in right after it to sort of kind of help you know build its audience. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it was a it was a question of um, accessibility. You know, I mean, you watch any episode of The Big Bang Theory, and I, I'm not going to say it's the most sophisticated show on television, but you you can pretty much turn on any episode of that and get a a, a good story uh, with that with that cast, with that premise, you don't have to have a lot of continuity to to, mm-hmm. to understand it. Um, same thing with like NCIS or CSI, you know, you can really um, just kind of plug in at any time. And so that was, that was, that was a real eye opener for me. Um, and then, yeah, I, I did some work for Netflix um, when I, when I, when I came out here, um, uh, they were, they were doing a new um, digital uh, initiative. And so I, I helped out a little bit with that. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, it was sort of one of those, you know, uh, they were big eye-opening experiences for me, um, you know, and really kind of helped me focus a little bit on the comic storytelling of it all. You know, I, 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 in certain ways, comics, is, it's, a, it's a much smaller pond than all of these sort of multimedia conglomerate giants. But I do think there's like a, a degree of discipline and a degree... Um, a degree of cross-pollination that you can kind of take from 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 one industry to the other. And so it's been really useful um, to kind of have those experiences at these big places and being able to say, okay, like you have, you know, the streaming model, the bingeable model. So how do you write in a way that like it works in like a, in a sustainable chunk month to month, but also if somebody picks up the trade, you know, how how's that experience going to work out for them? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it's been a really nice way to kind of calibrate my writing style, um, while I've sort of been in the trenches, kind of plugging away at my own comics work. Nice. Well, I did not realize that your writing career just, you know, is very expansive. So that's very impressive. I'm very, uh, very happy to hear that. Uh, so congratulations to you. That's, you. that's really awesome. And, and just like you said, I think, uh, those kinds of mediums, there's a lot of overlap, just as you said, but there's also those kind of unique challenges and that the medium definitely informs the writing, just as you mentioned before, is the way that you might write a television show for Netflix wouldn't be the same way for another show like CBS if they're doing, you know, releasing week by week or even as you mentioned before with the comics as well, too. So that's yeah. that was really insightful. So thank you for that. So. Let's dive into the interview. And for every guest that we have on the show, I always like to ask them the same question. And that is, what is your comic book origin story? What was it that got you into comics? Was it a particular person or a particular issue? And what's kind of led you to become a fan of comics since then? Yeah, you know, I mean, let's see. It was, let's see what the issue was. Um, it was uh, Amazing Spider-Man 346. Um, I, I got that as a kid. Um, <laughs> that and I, is I, very I specific. That's awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was uh, Spider-Man versus Venom. Uh, it was right before uh, they they uh, went to the island. So um, yeah, you know, I, I and, and a few others. I, I got an issue of Captain America where he's fighting um, the Ice Worm uh, with mm-hmm. Jack Frost. Um, an issue of Silver Surfer where it's uh, Drax the Destroyer versus Adam Warlock. 
Um, I didn't really understand any of the context uh, for that. Um, uh, Infinity War, number two, that was kind of a, a big game changer for me where I realized like all these characters kind of knew each other, um, mm-hmm. which was very exciting, especially, you know, my man, Spider-Man. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I, I think I've always had comics like as part of my my upbringing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think I really just uh, I love the art. You know, um, I, I think the art was really kind of the thing that sealed the deal for me as a kid. And, um, you know, I grew up in Missouri. I didn't really have a lot of artistic role models. I think if I had been told what like reference art was um, mm. as, 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 you know, as a child, I might have a very different career right now. <laughs> I, I, I didn't know what reference was until I was in my mid 20s. Um, so I had already kind of well missed the boat uh, to, to pursue an art career. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, and I think the characters, you know, I think there's a lot of characters that always really resonated with me. You know, there's, um, you know, Spider-Man, uh, Batman, Wolverine. Um, uh, those are really kind of the, the big ones. And then, you know, as I've sort of gotten older and, I've, and I've, I've sort of appreciated more and more comics, you know, like, for example, you know, the Avengers. Um, I, I, I love writing the Avengers. And I think something that's been really fun for me, especially as I've been doing more and more licensed work, is, you know, you find you find something to love about these characters. And that's kind of that's part of the job is you say, all right, like everybody kind of has their own angle on a particular character. What's yours? What's the thing that really resonates? What stands out to you? What if somebody was telling you this story would excite you? Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I've, I've just been I've been a big comics fan um, really by as, as long as I can remember, you know, whether it's, you know, the, the, the old school Marvel and DC of the 90s. Um, things like Crimson, things like Spawn, um, you know, 52 and Civil War. Um, uh, there's so many, uh, you know, um, Fraction and Brubaker on Iron Fist, uh, Fraction on Iron Man, um, you know, Dan Slott on Spider-Man, Jeff Johns on Green Lantern and Justice Society, uh, Remender on Uncanny uh, Avengers and Punisher. Um, there's so many. Mm-hmm. Up there, I, 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 uh, Devin Grayson, uh, her work on Batman Gotham Knights is kind of like a Rosetta Stone for a lot of my work. Um, so th- there's really, you know, it's it's uh, there's a lot. Um, so um, yeah, you know, I feel like I I I, I live and breathe this stuff, um, and I, I I've been really fortunate that I, I've sort of had my my foot in the industry in some capacity. Um, I think next year, I think 2023 will mark yeah, 15 years for me. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful. It's the, it's the best job in the world. Earlier when you were talking about growing up, you had referred to yourself as a third generation comics reader, which I have to say, I don't think I've heard anyone describe (laughs) themselves that way before. So I love that, how you grew up with, uh, with your, I think you said your mother and your grandfather were also comics readers. Um, So it sounds like you always had comics around the house because of that. Did, did your mom and grandfather had specific comics that they enjoyed reading that kind of, you know, ciphered down to you? You know, my grandfather, my grandfather passed when I was pretty young. And so we don't, we, we never really had a lot of overlap. And it's something my, my my mother always regrets is that um, when my grandfather passed, um, I was probably three or four and my my grandmother not knowing what they were worth throughout all of his comics, and uh, um, you know, looking back, you know, those, you know, they they could have sent me to college on those comics. <laughs> um, you know, my mother. Um, let's see. Um, you know, she read uh, Fantastic Four, um, Archie. Um, you know, a lot of the old, the old school Marvel. 
uh, uh, books. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those were kind of coming out in her childhood. Um, I don't know if she was a huge DC fan. Uh, no, that's not true. Actually, <laughs> she was a DC fan because I do remember as a kid, um, we got into a big debate uh, about how Lex Luthor lost his hair. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I grew up post-crisis. Um, I, I, I was born as Crisis on Infinite Earths was coming out. And um, so I was just like, Lex shaves his head. Grant Morrison said so. And uh, my mother was like, no, Lex, um, you know, was doing an experiment. And, uh, you know, Superboy used his super breath thinking there was a fire going on. And the chemicals, like, you know, took all his hair. Mm-hmm. I remember waking up the next day and my mom had, like, found, like, found this, like, scan online and, like, printed <laughs> it out and, like, put it on my door. Um, so, you know, I guess I guess she read some DC, too. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I think I think it was... Um, you know, I, I think it was one of those things that they, I don't think they knew what they were going to unleash when they gave me my first comics. And I was just obsessed, um, yeah. you know, that, the, those handful of comics and every so often they'd give me another set of comics that would just like reignite the whole thing. You know, I, I, I remember Target um, had like a collection of uh, Daredevil, the man without fear. That was a really uh, influential one on me. Yeah, um, I was way too young to to have read it, but I did read it. Um, the clone saga. I remember having those, uh, those, those flip issues, um, when that started, Mm -hmm. um, love that, um, death and return of Superman. Um, those were my first trades, uh, nightfall. I think that nightfall all the time. That's probably, (laughs) that's probably the, 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 the single comic series that really resonates the most with me. And I'd I'd love to do a riff on something like that someday. Um, um, and then, yeah, you know, like, as I, as I got older, you know, like, I would find new things, you know, like Spawn or um, or Crimson. Um, I was really into those in my early teens. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I just, uh, every time that I thought I was done, I, I'd find a new book that would kind of pull me back in. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, Why the Last Man, uh, anything that Grant Morrison's done mm-hmm. uh, from JLA to uh, New X-Men um, uh, to All-Star Superman, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, Transmet um preacher uh, I, I you know there's so many that I, I i i'm sure i'm missing but um mm-hmm. but yeah you know i i don't think you know my my every so often my parents will say like oh the comics weren't like this when i was a kid um but uh i like that you know it's kind of there's a little bit more of like a garage band mentality now mm-hmm. um and uh that's cool that you know it, it, it's a nice way to make your voice heard without necessarily the rigmarole of having to get you know a bunch of filmmaking equipment and getting a whole bunch of actors on, on, on set and uh, trying to find locations. Like this is very much an industry where, you know, you can using the internet, you know, as a writer, you can find an artist and a colorist and a letter and that's your band. Um, Mm -hmm. And you can just start playing. And uh, that's like, I think a really cool DIY ethos that um, is really uh, kind of, it's really fun to get to explore. That's awesome. Oh, thank you for sharing your story. That's really cool. Well, let's talk about, um, you know, some of your first comics as a professional writer, uh, which includes stories like going to the chapel, Spencer and Locke, the OZ, Scout's Honor. And looking back at the process of writing these stories, what were some of the lessons that you've learned as a writer, whether it was the process itself or what it meant to work in the industry? Boy, um, well, you know, I think... I think that, you know, having my first book, a couple books out, um, you know, that was sort of this idea 
of, oh, okay, like maybe I can do this. You know, I, I think I, I think I always had this fear that, you know, I was going to get like rejected like a bad organ, you know, like I, I, I get, I get a book, a book out and, you know, uh, it, it's, it's a one-off. Um, mm-hmm. And thankfully I'm sort of getting to the point now where I, you know, I, 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 I don't necessarily feel like that anymore. Um, but I think every book's its own animal. You know, every book has kind of come together a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my process um, kind of shifts a, a, a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there are certain concepts that kind of come together in different ways. And, and uh, you know, doing things in, in, in the license sandbox is, is even more different because um, you've already sort of got like a, a very firm, okay, you have this character and this is what this character does. Now, how do you kind of warp a story around them? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I, I think, um, I think for me, you know, I, I, it's just a matter of finding the angle, you know, it's always about what's this, what is the most interesting way to tell the story to me? What's mm-hmm. like, I mean, these things are hard. It's really challenging. And so I, the idea of trying to like kind of hack through a story that you don't love Oof, mm-hmm. that sounds miserable, you know, um, whereas I, that's why it's like you have to find like the most something that interests you. Um, so, you know, for example, um, Spencer and Locke, um, which was sort of my breakout book, that was, um, it was uh, what if Calvin and Hobbes grew up in Sin City? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like I said, big Frank Miller fan, um, Daredevil, The Man Without Fear was kind of a, a very seminal book for me. Mm-hmm. Um, as a kid. And uh, so I was like, I'd love to do a book in that vein, you know, really channel Frank's voice. And um, uh, and so for me, you know, it was like, okay, like, I'd love to do something with like a psychological twist. Um, mm-hmm. Memento is like one of my favorite movies. And so that became kind of the thing that was very interesting to me, um, approaching that book where it's like, you know, it's about a hard-boiled detective whose partner's his childhood imaginary friend. Mm-hmm. And kind of what what does that mean about him as a character? And so you got to kind of vacillate between a character study of sort of what was this guy's home life like, his childhood, that it sort of forced him to invent his own best friend, while also kind of just being like, well, what kind of cool action stuff can we throw in there? Um, whereas going to the chapel, which was a, sort of a, a, it was a, a crime rom-com, um, it, was a, it, was a, it was a hostage situation at, uh, at a wedding. You know, for me, that there, there, it's kind of like, okay, well, um, that's a comedy. So, like, where can I find bits of humor to kind of inject in what's otherwise a very tense hostage situation? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of, I don't know, I, I'm a big believer in, like, dessert first. Um, because otherwise, like, how the hell are you going to do this? Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe there are writers out there who are more disciplined than I am. But for me, I, I don't like the idea of taking on work that like doesn't interest me that doesn't excite me um life's too short and i only have a finite amount of stories and books in me mm-hmm. um so i might as well like do something that like excites me and and something that kind of uh satisfies my ambitions um so, you know so if i wanted to do something that was like a little bit more trippy and psychedelic like okay that's something you know, if that's on my checklist of, of, of a book that I want to do, chances are I will be approaching my next projects with that in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, sometimes it kind of comes out of order. Um, you know, I, for example, you know, my book, The OZ, um, that was that was one of my early pitches of sort of the idea of trying to do like a fantasy war mashup story. 
But uh, meanwhile, like my series Grand Theft Astro, which has sort of been long in development, uh, we're just sort of, you know, the art has been kind of coming in, in, in fits and starts. You know, that was just as early. And that was like, you know, me that started as uh, I wanted to do a sports comic. And it quickly turned into sort of a, a Fast and the Furious in space with like a time travel element. Um, mm-hmm. So I think the exploration is really kind of the key. Um, you, you, if you find something that's interesting to you, you just, you got to follow it as best you can. And usually like, if there's not enough meat there, you'll kind of lose steam pretty fast. But if there's something to it, that enthusiasm, that's what will really kind of keep you going in what will be a marathon. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, maybe there are people out there who write books like effortlessly and really quick, but I'm not one of those people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a marathon. And so you better damn well find something you like about it uh, because otherwise you will not make it to the finish line. Right. Is there a like a comic where you've had to put away or or stop because that happened for you or are you have you just been blessed enough that you haven't got to that point well, there's, yet <laughs> so there's a few um i mean mercifully you know um you find out pretty quick right you know um where you're just like oh okay i have one set piece here great mm-hmm. all right well i'll save that for something else um and there have been a few other projects that like i've written outlines and then i'm kind of like well i didn't really get any traction anywhere and it you know usually usually rejection is like the final catalyst for me where something like the oz for example where we pitched that to a few places um uh, who said you know we really love this concept but it's not the right fit for us at, the, at this time um that like i was kind of like all right i'm going to make this out of spite you know and that's sort of like the the key ingredient for me on a lot of my creator-owned work mm-hmm. um whereas there are other projects that I've pitched where somebody has said, you know, it's not really the right fit for us right now. And I've kind of been like, yeah, after writing that outline, like I wasn't really vibing with it either. Um, and so that kind of goes away. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, every project you learn something, um, Mm -hmm. even if it doesn't see the light of day, I think you learn something from it. And, And it's not, it's never to say like, it won't ever see the light of day, you know, it just might not be the time right now. Um, sometimes other projects come out, um, you know, that are, uh, that are similar. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had a, I had a project that I was really excited about, uh, that I was working on last year, um, that I'd written like a first issue and I had written an outline and then something came out this year that was close enough to it that I was like, all right, we're going to have to kind of wait and see, um, you know, at minimum, it, it's going to be a little while before we like can tackle this again. Right. Um, um, so, you know, it happens. Um, but I think I think it just kind of goes to show that, like, you really only want to the projects that you you kind of go past the outline stage. You really got to love them um, because otherwise it's just not worth the time and the hassle. Right. Right. Well, it seems to be working well for you this year because you have been able to write four stories for Marvel. I think it's, you know, Fantastic Four, Electra, Moon Knight, and the current run of Savage Avengers. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, you know, what's that been like working for Marvel and working on multiple stories at the same time? I know you uh, mentioned earlier that because these are characters that already been established and everything, that's a whole new world yeah. for you and working with that. But just kind of curious, like from going from all these indie books that you've been creating on your own to stepping into an established world. What's that been like for you? 
yeah, it, it was a big learning curve. Um, and it's one that I think I'm still learning. Um, you know, I've, I've been writing for Marvel now uh, a little over a year. Um, mm -hmm. I, I started working with them last summer and um, it's, uh, it's really exciting. Um, you know, I mean, this is a universe that I've grown up reading, grown up loving. And um, it's, it, I, it's, I get to interact with it in a more granular way. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think some of that is based on like the books that I've been lucky enough to get, the projects I've been lucky enough to get and, and um, sort of my take on like Marvel as a, as a bigger tapestry. Mm -hmm. And also that I'm lucky enough that I've been working with like Tom Brevoort as my editor who he's been, you know, he's the, he's probably the longest serving comics editor in the business. And he knows kind of the Marvel continuity inside and out. Um, just today, for example, I was emailing him about um, a list of villains uh, uh, for something and just being like, Hey, like, who am I allowed to use here? Like, is somebody, you know, is somebody booked is somebody, you know, uh, do you think any of this is a no go? And, you know, you very quickly was like, yeah, these, these, you know, this person, this person, this person works, don't do this, this, this. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, it, it, it is, it's one of those things that um, it's an interesting skill set. Um, you know, on the one hand, the, 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 the world is kind of built out for you. Mm -hmm. I don't have to create the whole Marvel universe from whole cloth, which is great. Um, however, you know, you, you, first off, you have to, you're playing sort of in the grand, the grand scheme of things. You kind of have to figure out like, Oh, okay. Like, for example, when I was putting together the cast on Savage Avengers, you know, um, I had a very long list of potential characters that I was like, I think any of these characters could work for a team. I'm going to need like a certain combination of them to make this work. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there were a few. Um, Carnage is a good example. Um, Carnage is one of the people I put on the list um, because I was like, you know, that'd be kind of cool to have like a Hannibal Lecter on the team where you don't know, um, you know, what side he's going to come down on in any particular conflict. And at the time, I did not know that like Rom V was working on on a Carnage series of his own. So that that's the sort of stuff that you work with your editors uh, around, and you have to kind of pivot if something. You, you can't get your heart too set on something, but at the same mm -hmm. time, you need to be ready that if they tell you yes, you're going to sort of love it with all your heart. Um, and uh, and conversely, you know, you can't say like, oh, I got to pin all my hopes on this thing because sometimes you might have to get your second choice or your third choice and you kind of have to pivot around that and not just pivot around it, but kind of figure out how to make it work. Um, you know, I, I, I think a lot about uh, Weapon H who's um, in my Savage Vendors roster. And um, that was one of those things that my editors, I, I said, I need somebody with Wolverine claws in this book. You know, like, I don't think this book works without somebody with Wolverine claws. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of my choices were booked elsewhere. Um, you know, Dakin was over in Marauders. Um, he was kind of my first choice. Uh, Logan himself um, was doing another time travel story and um, lives and deaths of, of Wolverine. Mm -hmm. So that wasn't really like a good fit. Um and the, my editor said, well, what about this guy, Weapon H? And at first, I was kind of like, oh, I don't know about that. And, but then as I thought about it, I was like, oh, you know what? I, I, I have an angle for this guy. Like, mm -hmm. and, and, and let's, 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 add, let's build onto his power set a little bit. So um, we'll sort of turn him into Dial H for Hulk, where he can turn into any, <laughs> any Hulk. And um, so that's, that's kind of like a cool, like, that, that's that's I think the name of the game as far as I'm concerned is you kind of mm -hmm. have to do these, these kind of roles um but uh yeah you know I think it's it's unlike a creator-owned thing where you can come up with a concept um say uh inception 
you know, let's, mm-hmm. let's throw that out there. I just watched that recently. Um, you know, where, you know, Christopher Nolan probably was like, Hey, what if, you know, what if we did a heist movie, but it was, you know, a telepathic heist movie and it was somebody stealing, you know, somebody's thoughts, you know, mm-hmm. or in this case, like having to plant a, a, a thought in somebody's mind. Um, and, uh, you know, you can kind of build a character around that. You, you you can have the concept and you can say, okay, well, we're going to have Leo as like the Danny Ocean and we're going to have JGL as sort of his his Brad Pitt. And we'll have a couple other colorful characters who, you know, fill the, the, the roles, the archetypes of the heist team. Well, you can't necessarily do that if you, you, you can't do it that way. Mm-hmm. If you're, um, if you're, if, if your editors are like, okay, well, you're going to do a story about the Hulk. Okay, well, like that already <laughs> kind of self-selects certain tones, certain worlds that you can you can do. I mean, you know, maybe somebody else who's not me could do like Groundhog Day starring the Hulk, mm-hmm. but like I wouldn't be able to pull that off, you know. Right. Um, and so you really kind of have to say, all right, like you start thinking about characters first, where you're saying, okay, somebody like Electra. For example, you know, mm-hmm. um, we did we did that Electra story um, in Black, White, and and and, and Blood, and I was kind of like, you know, she's an assassin. Um, who's like, you know, who's? What if she was like uh, on the same job as another assassin? Like, what happens? Mm-hmm. And so I said, you know, like, what about Black Widow? You know, I don't think we've ever seen those two interact, or if we have, it's been limited. Um, they they had actually fought in one comic prior to to to, to this. And so, you know, I pitched to my editor, Devin Lewis, I was like, hey, what if we had uh, Electra breaking into the Red Room? And, you know, back when Natasha was still there. Mm-hmm. And so they had to go head to head. You know, it's it's sort of that, you know, you, you kind of find like what's a concept that like generates a nice spark. And right. then you can kind of just start exploring it. Um, the, the good thing about these comics is like, you don't have to ask yourself, well, you know, are they going to die? You know, they're probably not going to die. And so you have to figure out other ways to come up with stakes. You have to figure out other ways to kind of be responsible with the toys to put them back. Um, But at the same time, especially if you're doing like a series like Savage Adventures, for example, you Mm -hmm. can, you know, I kind of love writing that book because it's my cast of misfit toys. Like <laughs> nobody's really demanding, you know, Hey, we need cloak and dagger to be doing X, Y, Z. Nobody mm-hmm. was demanding cloak and dagger. Um, that's great. That means I can do all sorts of stuff with cloak and dagger, uh, mm-hmm. you know, while they're in the confines of my book. So, you know, first thing I said was, all right, you know, you need cloak and dagger. When you think of them, you know, you think of them as a, a, a couple, you know, you, you know, their names are literally coupled together um, mm-hmm. as, as superheroes. So, all right, throw them in a love triangle, see what happens, um, you know. And so it's it's a lot of experimentation. And and um, thankfully, you know, I my editors have been really cool about just kind of letting me try things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and, and it's just been a real pleasure, you know, getting to write characters like the Savage Avengers, the main Avengers. I, I wrote them in a Avengers Unlimited um, that came out over the summer. Um Moon Knight was a really fun one. Um, I was just rereading that uh, uh, this week, um, you know, doing a short with him, uh, with Mark and his alters. You, you know, you just find things about the characters that you love, um, and then you kind of explore that. And um, I don't know. I, I uh, It's uh, 
it, it really does feel like a dream gig. And it's sort of, um, it's sort of, I, I always say like, you know, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, but I think remixing is kind of the sincerest form of fandom to me. And that's something that I really try to approach in, in, in all my projects. Right. Awesome. Well, and you had mentioned um, with working with Savage Avengers that you had a list of your original ideas. And it sounds like the process is you ask Marvel and, and just ask if they're available. It doesn't sound like they really dictate who needs to be in it. I'm kind of curious. Yeah. Um, can you share like who was in your original list of like who you wanted to begin with? Yeah. I mean, I, I got almost all the characters that I wanted. I mean, it, it, it I, like I said, like I would always sort of have, I knew certain roles that needed to be filled on this particular team. And so I would mm-hmm. pitch several characters for each role. Gotcha. And um, so for Savage Avengers, for example, you know, they were very, uh, you know, it, when, when, when Tom approached me for that project, um, it was literally, Hey, we're looking to relaunch this book. Do you have any ideas? Mm-hmm. And um, my first thought was, um, and actually, you know, talking about projects that like, you know, maybe aren't ready at that moment. I had come up with a concept a, a few years prior that was basically Conan versus the Terminator. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I wrote it thinking I'd pitch that to Dark Horse. And then as I finished that outline that week, Marvel announced that they had the rights to Conan. And so I was like, ah, oh, bummer. I guess I'm going to have to like file the serial numbers off and try to turn it to a creator or something. But I was mm-hmm. working pretty hard on grand theft astro and the oz and um and chapel and so i you know it just didn't didn't wind up happening and so when marvel came to me and said hey what do you think about savage avengers my very first thought was wait i can i can kind of strip this this pitch Mm -hmm. and so um you know i was like what if we did conan versus deathlock is sort of like conan versus the terminator we have him running around the hyborian age and we could throw in some superheroes that kind of get caught in the crossfire mm-hmm. and um they went for that very quickly um um I, I it's it's at least the process that i've had at marvel so far and I'm, I'm really grateful for that is that um they seem to speak my language in terms of uh i'm like hey i kind of have this elevator pitch of an idea what do you think mm-hmm. um and so you know for avengers unlimited for example i was like what if we did you know Somebody found Nick Fury's files. Um, you know, Nick Fury had a bunch of files on the Avengers, and these are, these are what they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we can kind of figure out, like, actually, it wasn't Nick Fury. Like, you know, Count Nefaria found them. And we find out later that that was actually Nick Fury's kind of sting operation against mm-hmm. Count Nefaria. Um, and, you know, in the end, he says, you know, if you, th- if you think that was the real Black Ledger, you're wrong, because if, if, if Nefaria had my real plans, you wouldn't be walking out alive. <laughs> um, you know, um, but yeah, as far as like my original picks for, for Savage Avengers, I mean, most of the people that I pitched initially made the cut. Um, you know, I, I, I begged for uh, Electra's Daredevil. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, uh, so I was very happy when they said that we could use her. Um, and I begged for Cloak and Dagger. Um, I was told that there had been no plans for Cloak and Dagger. Uh, so that was no problem. Um, Black Knight, I, I kind of floated. Um, this is right before the Eternals movie came out. So I thought maybe that would be like a good, uh, you know, this might be Dane's moment. Um, and actually, you know, for a character that I was least sure about, Dane winds up like he continuously kind of like creeps his way through the book. And like anytime I have a situation, a lot of times I'm like, well, that looks like that sounds like a Dane situation. And so he he pops up a lot more than I ever expected. Um, 
you know, like I, I, I had pitched Dak in, um, but like I said, you know, he's busy over in Marauders and we wound up finding like a really good angle on, on weapon age. Mm-hmm. Um, I pitched carnage, but I'd also pitched flash Thompson. I, I said, if carnage isn't available, flash Thompson would be great. And, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I remember actually being told at the time that they were like, we don't think it'll be an issue for Dak and but flash might be a tough one. And then a week later, they're like, actually, we got that backwards. Um, <laughs> Um, there were a few other characters that like didn't wind up making the final cut, you know, mm-hmm. I, just cause like we already have a pretty crowded cast. Um, and actually the, the cast is growing in our second arc a little bit. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's a lot to fit into 20 pages, but I, I remember I had on the list, um, I had black widow, um, and white widow. Um, I had Rachel Cole Alvis, um, as the Punisher. Mm-hmm. I, I I knew that there was going to be a Punisher relaunch, so I knew Frank was was off the table. Mm-hmm. Um, Moon Knight, um, Moon Knight almost made it, um, but you know there were lots of deep down, like there were a lot of backup options. Like at one point, um, there was uh, uh, Kane from Spider Man as, yeah. as the Scarlet Spider. He was way down on the list. Um, I even there was even a, a version of this where I had Azazel. Um, if, oh. they if they wouldn't let me have a uh, cloak and dagger. Yeah. Um, you know, um, there was, uh, uh, Faiza Hussein, um, as, as, uh, Excalibur, I think her code name was, mm. um, I didn't really know about Dane Whitman's daughter when I was pitching this, that was sort of kind of, that was sort of coming up. Um, uh, that, that series I think was starting to come out when I pitched it. Uh, mm-hmm. when I pitched Savage Avengers. So I, I wasn't I wasn't privy to any any of that behind the scenes stuff. Um yeah, I think those were kind of the names that I had originally thrown about. But I mean I had talked with with my editors. I was like, you know, I don't it depends on kind of what angle you're looking for. Like I was like, you right. could do the Bendis version of New Avengers here and just do what Jerry Dugan did, you know, essentially you have Logan, you have Venom, you have Ghost Rider, you have Punisher, you have Electra and maybe Black Widow. Um but I, I, I appreciate that my editors kind of picked up the vibe that I was going for, which was like, mm, we could do that. But like Jerry or Jerry Dugan already did that mm-hmm. uh, for the most part. And and why try to kind of imperfectly replicate something that Jerry already did so well when we could, especially with these lesser known characters, we could find ways to honor what Jerry did, but mm-hmm. take our own twist on it. Um, and, and, and really kind of celebrate the weirder corners of the Marvel universe. Um, and so it's, it's been a, it's been a dream book to write. Uh, It's been very fun. We're pretty far ahead, um, uh, as far as the storyline is concerned. And, um, yeah, we have a a lot of fun stuff coming, but, uh, it's difficult, it's difficult to talk about because, um, you know, (laughs) I'm several issues ahead and Carlos is, is almost as far ahead. Uh, Carlos Magno, our artist on the book and, Mm-hmm. Um, and meanwhile, you know, readers are still kind of digesting just the end of the first arc. Oh um, yeah. So yeah. It's a, it's a weird form of time travel in a way. Yeah. Well, and, and I want to ask you this question before mm-hmm. I move on to the other question, cause you brought up about how bring in some of the characters and see if they're available and everything. And you mentioned Electra as daredevil. Yeah. And I'm actually reading the current run by Chip Zizarski with daredevil and Electra's in it. And so I'm kind of curious 
how does she kind of fit in both of these stories? I, I don't know if these are like two different universes or what, but it, it, I know she's in uh, the Daredevil run right now. So yeah. how it, would you explain how she's in both of these stories right now, given what happens travel. with Savage Adventures? Okay. Time <laughs> that's travel. what I was thinking. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah uh, that, that, that's kind of, that's, that's one of the great parts about this storyline <laughs> is that like, you know, we can drop them back off and they've been gone. Like, Right where they you know. got picked up, right? Yeah, right where they picked <laughs> up, or you know, she lost a week. You know, like you know, it's it's uh, so that's nice. Um, yeah. You know, kind of lets us kind of dance between the continuity raindrops a little bit, and um, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, the, the the stories are still canon; they still exist. But um, but yeah, it 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 still is in a way that uh, 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 hopefully doesn't impact uh, what Chip is doing in any way. Um, but that, you know, that's, that's the great thing is like, you know, we, we, we discuss a lot of things, you know, with the different editors, um, you know, uh, my editing, my editorial team often interfaces with like, I think, I think, um, I think it's Devin Lewis's office, I think coordinates both Venom and Daredevil. So gotcha. it's kind of nice. Cause that, that's really the only office right now with any of the characters elsewhere, you know, um, mm-hmm you know, cloak and dagger and weapon H nobody was really using. And I don't even, I don't know what the plans are in the future with the, uh, with black Knight. I'm, I'm not privy to any of that, but right. as, as they don't, as Dane doesn't have a book on his own right now, I, right. I get a little bit more free reign. So um, yeah, those are, it's really, it's really Electra that we want to keep an eye on and mm-hmm. uh, flash to like a lesser extent, just making sure that we don't like mess up anything continuity wise with the symbiotes. Um, but right. You know, uh, that's the great thing about my my cast of Misfit Toys is that um, <laughs> we we do get a, a a decent amount of free reign. Yeah. Well, and what I love with this run of Savage Avengers is just as you mentioned, you're bringing in some of the lesser known characters like Weapon H. I've never heard of until I started reading <laughs> Savage Avengers. Um, I've always heard about Anti Venom, but I've never read any stories that he was in it. And I didn't realize it was Flash Thompson that was anti-Venom as well, too. Yeah. So um, so I think that it's, it must have been you know, a lot of fun. It sounds like it, it was for you to be able to bring these characters and just like you said, play around with, you know, yeah. having the stories and kind of incorporate them. And, and it must have been a lot of fun to, to do that. So, yeah. And it's, it, you know, it, every character, I think, is a little bit of a litmus test. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Flash, Tam- Thompson's a great example. You know, I mean, there are some people who might focus on his military background. Right. That's perfectly valid. There's some people who might focus extra hard on like, you know, he's somebody who his, his whole hero's journey was, he was Peter Parker's what well, Spider-Man's ultimate fanboy while he was Peter Parker's ultimate bully. Mm-hmm. And, you know, somebody could easily have sort of adopted the, the, the approach of like, he wanted to be a superhero and now like he died and came back and maybe he's kind of thinking like, Oh, that was a huge mistake. Like, right. how do I live? Like I can't live a normal life like this. Um, that sort of the, 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 the hero worship shine, it might've faded. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I, I really just, you know, flash Thompson from his very first appearance is a douchebag. Uh, you know, he's just, <laughs> he's, 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 he's the, he's the jock. He's, you know, he he's the ladies' man. Uh, he's extremely full of himself, extremely cocky. And I was like, yeah, that that's 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 Flash for me. Um, right. You know, and and so kind of writing him where you know everybody's like, where's Conan? You know, the occult is about to unleash a snake god and 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 destroy the planet ten thousand years out of schedule. And 
Flash is meanwhile turning into dagger and he's like, Hey, you're with an Avenger now. If you want, I'll introduce you to Captain America will be at home. Um you know, which like, was a like, great panel, by the way. It's I think I think it was a uh cloak that was just like, Really, you're doing this right now? Yeah, you know, like, like <laughs> It, it, you know, it's 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 those kind of moments that like it, mm. it's he's sort of like the the old school Hawkeye or the old school Wolverine of the yeah. team. You know, the 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 team irritant is what a, a lot of people would, would would call that kind of character. Mm. Um, and that's the cool thing about like especially writing an ensemble book. And I I feel like so often I tend to gravitate towards that. You know, like like just like they say, like evolution. You know, everything tends to evolve towards the form of a crab. Um, you know, I tend to always evolve towards the form of an ensemble book um, mm-hmm. that just, you know, it, it's it's anytime I can turn a book into an ensemble book, I almost always go for that um, just because like you have so many different perspectives and so many different voices. And and the more characters, I think the more you the more potential to do stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I know there was an actual question in there. And um, uh, <laughs> but um yeah, I, I think I think you know, getting a, getting a book like this, you really get a lot of free reign, and it's just a matter of kind of finding an angle, finding a perspective on on each of these characters, and then committing mm-hmm. to it. Yeah, well, and, and one of the exciting things I think for Savage Avengers in terms of timing and everything, and you had mentioned this earlier with Marvel's license with Conan, is that. Yeah you got to do something that it seems like not a lot of creators get to do, which was retire a character and kind of give it an interesting ending with this run. And and this is a spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't read the issue five of Savage Avengers yet, but you got to retire Conan as somebody who is, you know, kind of took what his experience was as Avengers and made his own team back in his homeland. And that I thought that was a really fitting and a really cool way to kind of wrap up that story of Conan and, and be able to send him off to his next adventure that way. Yeah. You know, that, that was, that was a really interesting experience. Um, You know, when I, when I pitched, when I was first approached to write Savage Avengers, um, I was told like, Hey, it's up to you if you want to use Conan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jerry Dugan sort of it, it, Jerry Dugan hadn't finished writing his run yet when they when they approached me. Um, so it was very much one of those like you could, you know, we could send him home, we could not. And my thinking was, you know, well, how often am I gonna get an opportunity to write Conan the Barbarian? You know? Yeah. At the time we hadn't locked in 2099 yet as our second arc, but we knew we wanted to do like a far future um second arc. So I was like, you know, Conan, you know, it'd be cool to have him in the in the far future. But, you know, it's really kind of up to you guys, like, you know, or we can kind of play it by ear and just see kind of how everything goes. By the time we hit the end of the first arc, we can make a decision there. And um, I had just finished writing our second issue when uh, the decision was actually made for me. Um, you know, we, 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 we found out about um, that, that Conan's rights were not going to be extended um, past 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, and so really, you know, there wasn't a ton of shifting beyond that. I mean, it was just kind of like, okay, like this idea that, all right, we're going to issue five will be Conan's last issue. Um, we probably could have kept him a tiny bit longer, but just, you know, based on the way that the, the deal was, was going to be arranged. I, right. I didn't feel right trying to take him out like mid arc, you know, like it, like Conan leaving is an event. 
Mm-hmm. And so um, really the only shifting that kind of came out of that was, you know, I, I, I talked to my editors and I was just like, well, you know, um, I'd love to have like kind of a new central figure for, for the second arc. And um, what if we did Punisher 2099? If we, if, if, if Frank Castle is busy in his own series with Jason Aaron, we could kind of do this in a way that honors Jerry Dugan's original lineup. You know, we didn't have a Punisher. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a way that's very different and still speaks to that far future. Right. Um, so uh, if there were any changes really to anything, some minor cosmetic changes to the second arc, um, you know, we, uh, we, uh, we tweaked the villain a little bit um, just to make sure we weren't doing anything that was like even tangentially related um, mm-hmm. to, 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 to Conan, um, which was fine. Um, honestly, I think, now having having written most of that arc, um, I feel very happy with how it turned out. Um, so you know, it, it was one of those things. I um, you know I sweated that fifth issue a little bit. Um, it went through several iterations. Um, I that was where my newspaper training came in real handy because I had to kind of cut to the bone um, mm-hmm. to make sure that we were able to fit um, you know a big moment for every character and in ways that would kind of fuel the soap opera for the next storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, while still giving Conan enough um, real estate to give him like a, a solid goodbye. Um, and people seem to really respond to, to, to that. I know, I think a lot of people, you know, especially when you get into this stage of, uh, you know, when you're, when you're writing for the big two, I think there are a lot of people who sometimes kind of want you to fail. Um, Cause it's not really you who's failing. It's Marvel or it's DC um, right. you know, it's sort of the worst of like the sports team mentality. Right. Um, you know, and, and, uh, and so I think the fact that like people seem to, <laughs> nobody really found a lot of ways to complain about how we sent off Conan. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's good. I, I feel like that means I, I, I did my job and, um, you know, it was a huge honor. I, I, I think, um, being able to write what I believe is the final Marvel comic with Conan in it um that's a it's a huge honor it's a huge responsibility and it was one that i took really seriously um and and uh i i'm really kind of grateful that i got to be in that position um uh-huh. and uh uh it was challenging but um i'm very happy with how it turned out and I, a lot of that i owe to carlos magno um who just you know he's i, I was kind of new to conan when I, when I started writing it, um, I, I don't know, I didn't know Conan backwards and forwards the way that I knew the Marvel universe, but Carlos, on the other hand, is like a diehard Conan fan. I remember, <laughs> I remember, um, in issue four, we had a, we had a, a bit where Conan is kind of strapped to some ceremonial altar. And I remember writing in the script, I said, I, I said at the time, I said, do we want his, his hands nailed in? Or is that kind of too gory for the, um, you know, for, 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 for the tone that Marvel wants. And Carlos was the one who was like, well, actually Conan got his hands nailed in, in this story and it took a month to heal. So maybe we just do it. Like, you know, we just have, have him cuffed instead. And I was like, great. Uh, like, <laughs> um, you know, Carlos really, I mean, he, he's such a pro and he's so just so gracious, just an amazing partner to work with. And he's inhumanly fast. Um, mm-hmm. like, too fast, if anything. Um, um, I, I, I was killing myself over over an issue of Savage Avengers a week and a half ago, 
um, mm-hmm. because I was desperate that I was like, I have to be an issue ahead of Carlos at any particular time. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I get to go back on that hamster wheel in like a week and a half um, because Carlos has already turned in pencils for a whole other issue. Right. Um, and, you know, he'll be done with inks. He'll be done with inks by this time next week, if not sooner. Um, gotcha. He's just, he's, <laughs> he's so talented. Um, um, and yeah, you know, I, I just, uh, it's the end of an era and, um, you know, I'm, I'm grateful to, to Marvel for letting me kind of, for trusting me in that, that moment and for Conan properties for, um, letting us tell that moment. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think there's, a uh, lots of cool stuff ahead for, for Conan. Um, I think he's in good hands with Jim Zub, um, over at Titan. And so, uh, I'm excited to read his next adventures, uh, as a fan. Yeah. That's no, that's fantastic. And it, it's really great kind of hearing the experience you've had with being able to write that story and, and the fans reaction to it. Cause I gotta say, I absolutely love that panel of how you all ended that story. And just the fact that it seems like he has his own Avengers team with his current, you know, time and, and era and things like that. So I think that was such a great uh, way to end that. So um, before I let you go, sure. I'm, and you'll be the first person I'm, I'm doing this with, but I'm going to see if this is something that guests likes to do and, and how it goes and everything like that. But you are also writing a couple issues of Fantastic Four in addition yeah. to Savage Avengers. So I want to ask you, and I don't, again, I don't know if writers like this or not. So tell me sure. now before I get you know too crazy with this, but in a fight between Weapon H and The Thing, <laughs> right? <laughs> I knew um, I'd get that kind of reaction. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, it, dep- it, dep- it depends on um, whose book it is. Um, <laughs> exactly, uh, yeah. You know, if, I, if I was writing this, uh, if I was writing it in Savage Avengers, um, I mean, I, I would say I, I would say Ben would certainly have his work cut out for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I mean... If I was writing him in if I was writing this match in Savage Avengers, something would happen have to happen to Clay that like he'd have to have some sort of serious handicap, like either his gamma core isn't starting or right um, or you know or it's fluctuating, so he can't really like control like what powers he's doing at any particular moment, mm-hmm. um, or like Ben would have to have some sort of like major power up. Um, I think it'd be easier if it was in Fantastic Four. Um, because then you could just say, you know, somebody's mind controlling Weapon H and suddenly you got to deal with a Hulk and a Wolverine, both of whom have uh, have given Ben some very grievous injuries in the past. And right. you kind of have Ben, you know, but I, I, I at the same time, I feel like um, I feel like Dan Slott really told like the best version of that story. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it was the issue of uh, is the issue of Ben and his honeymoon um, fighting the Hulk. Um, uh, that that was probably the best version of that story. Although he he managed to have his cake and eat it too, because he managed to do it in again in Empire. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was I'm pretty sure that was Dan um, fighting against a possessed She Hulk, um, and uh, Ben saying like, "All right, you know I'm 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 not going down, so I guess I'm the immortal thing." <laughs> uh, you know like there's really you know i don't I don't know how you top that um, right. um but uh um you know 
Ben is a great character. I mean, he's he's kind of one of the all-time great Marvel characters. Um, it's like it's it's a it's a coin toss between him and Peter Parker, you know. Yeah. Um, um, and uh, uh, I um, I think we 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 have a really cool Ben moment in um, our next issue of Fantastic Four, um, just because like as much as this is a Sue story, I felt like I can't I couldn't resist like getting a good good beat with Ben. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, uh, I guess if you're saying who wins in a fight between thing and, <laughs> and weapon age, um, chances are it's the thing, um, as the underdog, um, nice. uh, yeah. you know, it, 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 I, I think having him as an underdog story, but it, really the answer is whoever's the underdog and, and, and whoever, whoever's book this is, right. um, that's, that's, that's the answer. <laughs> it's funny. Well, and I have to say, I have I picked up your Fantastic Four issue, and I have not read it yet. Oh, geez. And well, and and I I have to say and share again, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't read it yet. But I did see on Twitter about how you wrote in a, a homage to a very popular movie, and it got me excited to read that. It's one of my next issues I'm going to read just because I love that movie, and, oh, good, and I think that's so great to pull that in. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, you'll have to let me know what you think. Um, yeah, you know, it was, it was a fun process. Um, mm-hmm. You know, um, my, my, my Savage Avengers editors are uh, also the editors in Fantastic Four. Oh, so, great. Um, um, you know, when, when, when they, they, when, when it, when they sort of found out like, okay, Dan's run is going to wrap up and, um, you know, and, and they knew that Ryan, I assume they knew that Ryan North, um, was going to be taking over. I, I assume that was decided before they, they, they had tapped me, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, they were like, okay, you know, judgment day is coming out. Um, we've got some room for, uh, for, for two issues. Mm-hmm. Um, would you be interested? And, you know, I, Fantastic Four, um, that's history. You know, that's the, the that's that's the that is the uh the book that built Marvel. Right. Um and so I couldn't say no to that. And mm-hmm. um the fact that Tom was like, you know, I'd really love to do like a Sue Storm focused thing. And I was like, that actually works out perfectly. Um, you know, I, I think there's so much Sue is an overlooked character uh in, mm-hmm. in many ways. And um and I think there's so many cool stuff that can be told especially, you know, through the lens of Judgment Day. Um, you know, that's a story that is ultimately a superhero story that sort of focuses on fire and brimstone and religion and judgment, and mm-hmm. um, but also faith. And um, what is faith if something that you cannot see, but you ir- irresistibly feel? Mm-hmm. And that's something that is both the invisible woman's powers, but also kind of her cosmic love story with Reed Richards, which is really kind of the emotional through line of the story. Um, so... I'm really proud of that book. Um, I'm really proud of the work that um, uh, Juan Cabal, uh, the artist in the book, did. Um, uh, he he is just a real talent and a real storyteller. Um, um, he added so many great flourishes to that uh, two-parter um, that really elevated the story, I think, in some really important ways. Um, and so, um, yeah, I'm really... I, 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 uh, <laughs> It's a little intimidating, sort of being uh, in the middle of the narrative sandwich that is Dan Slott and Ryan North. Um, you know, it, it is intimidating to follow Dan, especially um, as somebody who I've known for almost 15 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, uh, I like to think we hold our own. Yeah. 
David, thank you very much for coming on the show and sharing with us your comics journey. Before I let you go, can you let everybody know where they can find you online? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at PeposD or David Pepos Comics on Facebook. You can also follow um, my newsletter, Pep Talks, at bit.ly slash petnews or visit my website at davidpepos.com. And that wraps up another episode of The Caption Life. I hope you enjoyed listening and don't forget to hit the subscribe button. You can follow us on social media at Caption Life. And if you like what we're doing, give us a shout out by tagging us in your post or send us a message. For more information about us and all of our previous episodes, visit thecapsinlife.com. 